Hello and welcome to the Body Resilient Mum podcast. I'm your host, Louise Hurley, and I am here to elevate your body image one conversation at a time. Most of us have grown up believing that a thinner, smoother, tighter body and face is better. And if we have these things, then we have succeeded and we'll live happily ever after. When we've been surrounded by this message all of our lives, in some form or other, we tend not to question it. It's just the way of the world. But have you ever stopped to wonder whether these standards that we've been holding ourselves to are even possible to achieve? And if we do try to match these standards, like losing weight or trying to remain wrinkle and dimple free, is it actually healthy? As mums, we feel under so much pressure to succeed in all areas of life, including trying not to look like we've grown and birthed a tiny human. This podcast will encourage you to challenge your long-term beliefs about what your body should look like and help you to move from a place of conflict with your body to a place of peace and acceptance. Welcome to another episode of the Body Resilient Mum podcast. I am joined today, I'm so excited, I'm joined today by Nicole Young and she is Women's Health Physiotherapist of Forever Young Physiotherapy. I've got the most wonderful bio from Nicole, so I'm going to read it out to you. Nick. I won't do it justice like you can. So I'm going to talk about you like you're not even here. And then you can pop in and pretend like, hey, here I am. Um, So Nicole Young, founder and principal physiotherapist, has a special interest in women's health physiotherapy and has completed additional training in this specialized field. So important. Nicole is passionate about treating and educating women with both integrity and respect and has a desire to empower women through raising their awareness on how they can maintain their pelvic health throughout the various stages of life. On the side of her physiotherapy business, Nicole has been involved in delivering prenatal education classes and online education sessions with one of Sydney's top private hospitals and has had the pleasure of empowering the lives of many mums and dads-to-be through delivering this critical education prenatal care. Nicole is passionate about striving to raise awareness on the multiple changes of a female's body that a female encounters through the journey of pregnancy and childbirth and believes education is key to empowering women on accepting these changes and understanding the implications these changes can have on a female's body and what preventative work can be done right now. Love that. Nicole is passionate about educating women on how preventative treatment now can assist with preventing issues occurring later in a woman's life. Being proactive rather than reactive is Nicole's mantra, which I love. I love that, Nick. (laughs) So welcome. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so happy you've joined me. Thanks for having me today. So exciting. So Nick, could, I mean, that was the most beautiful bio. It's so impressive. Could you just tell me how you came to be in the women's health space? Because did you kind of leave training and go, I'm going into women's health? Or did you get here in a certain way? bit of a roundabout way um a little a little bit of background um before I went into physio I always wanted to be a midwife so I always had a passion for being involved with childbirth actually and when I went through my nursing training Mm -hmm. uh, you couldn't just become a midwife you had to do your general nursing and so I quickly realized that general nursing was not for me went into physio had always been a musculoskeletal and sports physio um and it was probably about 10, 11 years ago when I first dipped into um, the women's health side of it. And it was around, in a bit of a nutshell, I was treating backs, I was treating hips, I was treating SIJ joints, um, pregnant women, postnatal women. And there's just this missing picture 
as we as we know. And so that becomes the internal pelvic health um, missing piece of the puzzle, I guess. And so as I was embarking on childhood bearing years myself, um, the passion arose again about how we can better serve these women and and help them not just treat what is the main, um, I guess, pinpointing symptom that's driving them to treatment in the first place, but really getting to the nuts and bolts of how you can change that for them because the musculoskeletal component as well as the pelvic health system is an integral part together. And you can't just fix an issue by addressing the outside skeletal framework if you're not working with the mesh that's inside, which is our pelvic floor um, and structure within the pelvic health. So that's how I um, became into the women's health space, did further education and training within the women's health scope. I still am a musculoskeletal physio as well, so I have both aspects of my uh, treatment that I like to work in conjunction with every female client that I get to see. Um, and it just works beautifully because you're not just working on the framework of the body, you are actually delving into the, what's happening on the inside as well, which is a big missing piece. And I think I'm sure we'll probably get into it within our chat. That's often a part that is missed because a lot of women um, look from the outside and see what's happening on the outside, but fail to address and accept the changes on the inside. And unfortunately, if treatment and assessment only happens from the outside, a large a large amount of treatment can occur from the outside if you're not delving into um, the inside pelvic cavity. However, a lot can be missed. And so that's what I like to explain to a lot of females who are hesitant to actually have that first maybe internal examination um, postnatally is that if we don't understand what changes have occurred inside, then it's very difficult to give advice to know where, your ba where their baseline is when they're starting to work out with you and, and different trainers to work on their rehabilitation because it's all guessing. You know, like it's no different to understanding what a hamstring performs or a glute performs. It's still muscular. It's still the same foundations apply. It's just internal. And so rarely does anyone say, no, I don't want my, my hamstring assessed or I don't want my glute assessed yet there is a different uh, ball game we're dealing with when it comes to pelvic health. And rightly so, it's an intimate space, um, which we need to appreciate and understand what has what injuries or what burden has taken place. But once a female accepts that and they're happy to have an internal examination, quite often I'm faced with, why didn't I just do this sooner? To understand the whole picture that goes with that, that um jigsaw puzzle that we're trying to deal with so yeah in a nutshell that's how I came to work within the women's health scope and I just love it it's so rewarding I'm very passionate about working with women um, and trainers like yourself to get the best outcome possible for women and we're not just talking about the early framework postnatal we're talking about lifelong journeys so any female that has carried a child on their pelvic floor has a lifelong journey that that we need to be you know addressing and make sure we have good habits in place and that we have good um, strategies that we're working with to be preventative so that we do prevent issues and so we don't have to be reactive later i'm sure that would be another topic of conversation lou but you and i know that a lot can <laughs> can occur and once we've gone over that threshold of an injury sometimes um we don't want to have to be fixing it 
we want to do what we can to prevent it happening in the first place. And I'm talking about prolapse and severe incontinence. So that might be for another day. Yeah, 100%. Cannot agree with you more. And you're so right. You hear so many women say, why didn't I do this sooner? And it's so true. And Nick, not everyone is going to be familiar. Like as a mom safe trainer, I understand why breathing is so important. But when I had a baby, I hadn't heard of any of this. I didn't even, after I had my babies, before I was a mom safe trainer, I had no clue why breathing was so important. It wouldn't have been on my radar at all. Could you, and I'm sure there's listeners who are listening now going, it's breathing's breathing. Like, what are you talking about? Could you just explain, because the next few questions are going to be based on the information you give now. Could you just fill this in and give us a bit of information on why breathing correctly, breathing properly is so important after you've had a baby? Yeah, for sure. So yeah, you're right. And look, I don't know the scope of your listeners as to how much education they do know and whatnot. So I do apologize if I go back to some basics when I explain. Go go from the very beginning. Yeah. Um, so yeah, 100% breathing is vital. And just like yourself, other trainers, any women's health physio that you're um, clients and listeners will attend, they will always hear about breathing and we want to check their breath work. We want to check their engagement. And the reason being is that the diaphragm plays an integral part of functioning of our pelvic floor. And so I like to explain the core system um, as a cylinder. And so I'll use this ultrasound um, container as a, as a diagram just to show you as what I mean. If you visualise this in your abdomen this is our core system and so on a nut in a nutshell in layman terms if we talk about it having four surfaces the core needs to have all four surfaces working together to have optimum core functioning and so at the front we have transverse abdominis which are our, our low deep tummy muscles they're not our sit-up muscles they're not our six-pack muscles they're our deep transverse abdominis at the base at the back we have our multifidus so that forms our part of our lumbar spine uh, support network at the base we have our pelvic floor muscles and at the top we have our diaphragm and so the diaphragm the breathing component comes into play at that top surface of that cylinder so if we do chest breathing where we breathe and get air into our chest and our ribs by lifting up through our neck and we're using a lot of upper um, intrinsic muscles and our scalenes we are not expanding our chest wall we're not expanding our thoracic wall and we're not allowing the diaphragm at the top of this cylinder to fully engage and expand like a balloon does and so as a result if the diaphragm can't fully operationally function to its maximum um, capacity then it doesn't have the ability to, when it relaxes, the pelvic floor can't contract to its full optimum ability either. And so we're trying to get this um, cylinder approach where all surfaces are working together. And we're not just saying we just want pelvic floor to activate. We're not just saying we need to just do breath work. We need everything, all surfaces, to work together optimally to to get the best functioning for our core. And so that means if, if we've got great support work through our pelvic floor and our transverse abdominis through the front, then there's less forces that are going to go through our back as well. 
And if the diaphragm is working optimally and we're not breath holding, then that force that's going down across our pelvic floor is not going to exert pressure and be referred to as creating intra-abdominal pressure, which I'm sure you probably speak of and your listeners have heard of as well, because that can have disastrous effects on our pelvic health. Mm. So it just goes to show then when your diaphragm isn't kind of working as part of the system as it should, it actually affects and can put more pressure down on pelvic floor sometimes, or maybe your back or, but it's from the inside makes complete sense. Um, And so something as simple as breathing, because you think, well, I do it naturally. So of course I'm breathing, right? Not always true after you've had a baby because everything changes, doesn't it? When you've had a baby. Yeah. And you really need to relearn that skill and you're spot on. Most people come for their first initial assessment, or you might see in their first training um, assessment can't do well fail to do consistent good breathing and it's a skill that really needs to be relearned how to effectively get that belly breath and really make sure that you're extending to its full capacity and not just doing your upper breath as well and then ensuring that when you breathe out this is a whole nother ball game is when we're actually utilizing our upward lift of our pelvic floor because the normal um the normal approach when you ask someone to not think about it and to to tell me what happens when they do a pelvic floor contraction so they will try and breathe in and lift up their pelvic floor when we both know it's actually as we exhale our breath that then our pelvic floor need to come up so it's the opposite of what most people will actually think so that's a real skill yeah. that has to be practiced and thought processes involved to get the correct coordination involved with the diaphragm allowing exhalation for the pelvic floor to then come up so i'm sitting here now as you're talking about breathing i'm like oh yeah breathe into my ribs and i'm trying to breathe into my ribs and feel my torso expand and i can feel the waistband of my tights because i'm wearing workout tights i'm like well it's actually quite hard like it's pushing against my breath like it's making it really hard which brings me on to my next kind of question or chat but most of us either we still do or in the past we've tried to hold in our tummy to look smaller or we've engaged like board bearing down on our external obliques which are these muscles just underneath your ribs <laughs> I'm pointing it's a podcast you can't see that but you're <laughs> so it's these muscles just underneath our ribs that keep our rib cage down we clench down to try and make ourselves look smaller thinner is this something Nick that you see in your practice years and years of women either sucking it in or bearing down on external obliques, trying to make themselves smaller. Is this something that you see and what effect does it have on our core and pelvic floor? Yeah, 100%. So a huge cohort of women are doing exactly what you've just said. And it's a really sad um, thought process that, that they're doing it to change their body image. So that tells us they're not happy with their body image. But what they're actually not realising is they're doing more damage by doing so. And so I often explain to women that what is the point of trying to get a smaller size in your workout clothes or your jeans or your denim shorts to wear to the beach if you want a size 6 or a size 8 to just buy the size 6 or 8 when actually they're quite tight on you, you're trying to suck in away from the waistband so you don't get a bulge 
and actually you're creating that intra-abdominal pressure that we're trying to avoid to prevent that extra load and that tension going down on your pelvic floor. And so once off that, but if you're doing that all day long, you are creating very bad habits that over long periods of time will have significant effects on our pelvic floor. And so talking about that breath holding, that creating that intra-abdominal pressure that we don't want on the inside pushes our pelvic organs and pushes that force down on our pelvic floor. And what that creates is the pelvic floor becoming in a weakened state. Now, if we're holding on, we call it being on all day, meaning a lot of mums in Lycra who are wanting to be active, which is great, we want them to be active, but if they are in inappropriate sizing um, clothing to try to reduce the size of their um, torso because they want to look smaller and they are breath holding and they are holding themselves on literally on all day, their pelvic floor is in a heightened resting tone all day. Their glutes are on. Often their hip flexors are on. And what that can create is a lot of tension in the pelvic area that we don't want on all day. So that creates a real tired, weak pelvic floor. So if you think about walking around with your bicep on all day and your shoulders are up around your neck all day, that leads to tension headaches. That leads to neck pain. That leads to poor range in your neck because your your joints are held uh, in a poorer state of comfort because the muscles around it are engaged all day. They're, they're pulling on all day. There is no different to the pelvic floor. And so these, these poor pelvic floor muscles that should be having a resting tone, a postural resting tone to just hold us all day are now being asked to be held on like a maximum contraction all day and they get very, very tired and then that becomes a weakened state. Now, that can sometimes be a little bit hard for people to understand. It's not weakened as in lax. It's weakened as in fatigued because it's asked to be on all day. And so... What I've just said are the consequences. There's also back pain that can come, tummy pain that can come, referred pain into the hips and groin. You can have vaginal pain, so a real burning pain within the vagina, um, and that's from overactive pelvic floor muscles. That can then lead to poor um, also issues with intercourse because as much as we teach the three component to a pelvic floor contraction, that last component is relaxation. So just as important it is to have a good contraction phase of your pelvic floor, we need the relaxation phase. And so if you're constantly on all day, you are not allowing that pelvic floor to come to a resting state. So during penetrative intercourse, unfortunately, they, that can be quite painful um, and can cause a lot of issues. And then leading on to that is obviously birthing um, a baby through the vaginal canal. And so to have a natural vaginal birth, you need pelvic floor muscles to be able to relax. And so if, again, women are holding themselves on all day, they're in that heightened time, we've got a, a large um, area that is overactive, we've got a lot of work to do if we want to be able to birth a, a head through that vaginal canal. And unfortunately, a lot of those will end up in an obstructed labour and will end up having a C-section because of the fact that the actual head can't descend down into the vaginal canal, which is a huge implication. Not saying... 
um, varying sections are bad birth choice, but if a female wants a natural vaginal birth and they are limited because the the failure to transition down into the birth canal, we know, Lou, we see it all the time. That can then lead to lifelong consequences, not just for the, the way that the birth happened, but that get, then goes into the psychological aspect of, of traumatic childbirth as well and females who have a you know they're thought to meet what they want in a in a birthing situation which again will be another topic of conversation but yeah just good for your listeners to know that we're actually creating more issues by by holding ourselves on and trying to create that image that we're not when in actual fact let's just accept the body we've got and let's work appropriately with appropriate exercises to try to maybe reduce the diastasis that we've got through our rectus abdominis, if that's what is concerning for females. Knowing largely, though, that a large cohort of the population who've never birthed actually have a centimetre of separation. It's natural. It, it occurs. So I want your listeners to also know that getting back to zero is not realistic and they don't need to set out to achieve that. Mm-hmm. And I think the moral of the story here is let it all hang out. Don't, like you said, like stop trying to be a certain shape or size because it's obviously you've just gone through the whole range of problems that you can come into from trying to change the way that your waist looks and just let it all hang out. It's so much more comfortable. Maybe a bit freer clothing. And I have to say, you know, the current trend at the moment, a lot of free, a lot of free clothing that is larger and just hangs and and for some women that's that's a godsend because it's allowing women to actually just appreciate being in their own body as it is and not having to suck in and hold all day because it's uncomfortable and it's actually causing more damage not just what I've gone through as the consequences but if females knew after having an internal examination that they were sitting on a borderline of of a low-grade prolapse that's not necessarily symptomatic for them. So they're completely functional. They're able to exercise. They're able to, you know, go about their daily life fairly symptomatic free. But on examination, they presented with a low-grade prolapse. If they knew that breath holding and actually sucking in and pushing down on their pelvic floor all day was causing further bear down on that pelvic organ prolapse, I guarantee you they wouldn't continue it. So that's also an essential component to pelvic floor rehab is knowing what you're dealing with internally and knowing what the integrity of your baseline is at because symptoms don't always correlate with with damage internally. And so sometimes it's really good to know the integrity and the baseline you're working with because if you could do, again, preventative work, and not bear down and not suck in and not hold on all day because that had the potential to worsen a low-lying prolapse, I'm sure it would turn the mindset around a lot of a lot of your listeners as well. Yeah, I agree. I think so too. And so, Nick, we've talked about the sucking in and kind of having that pressure down on pelvic floor from the inside. Is it the same with things from the outside? So we see either really tight clothes, like high-waisted jeans or suck in pants, the underwear, like, you know, like the shorts and then they come up up to your rib cage and it's the really tight stuff that you really have to like hoist up. And 
does that have the same effect but the pressure now is coming from the outside and pushing inwards rather than from the inside and pushing down on pelvic floor correct yeah so it basically squashes and and forces those external forces downwards through the pelvic cavity and so i guess the difference with that is when you've got uh, an external force from the outside like i touched on previously your automatic response though is to pull from the inside and create um, that um, drawing in effect from that tight garment. And so then we're back to that drawing in, holding on, and that same philosophy that we went in before with that intra-abdominal pressure. So that's really interesting to know because we often see those ads for like suck it in pants and they're targeted at mums and they're targeted at women and it's all about making your waist look smaller. But I look at these things, I'm like, but that has to go somewhere. Like you don't take body fat or or you don't take parts of your body away when you put these undies on like it goes somewhere and it goes in and it goes down down and pushes down correct and so it's that it's that pressure and and you know we might um at certain times create that increase in intra-abdominal pressure which is totally fine you know if we're asked to help someone move a heavy piece of furniture and in that one moment of time there is that large increase in intra-abdominal pressure. I would hope that we're bracing adequately and we are lifting our pelvic floor to meet that force and we are using our transverse to also brace and use that um, mechanism of our core stability. But in that one moment of time, yeah, there is, a, there is that descent down. But if you're wearing these garments all day long and there is that constant force, that is where, that is where the hours and the, and the long-term effects come into effect of that detrimental outcome. So, and, you know, touching back, back on what you said about the the marketing to the new mums, I mean, that's one less thing that new mums really need to, we don't need to focus on that, take that expectation off them and lower that expectation of getting back to maybe what they once had and what they want to achieve. But in reality, you've just carried a baby for nine months and you've birthed a human being out of your body there are going to be changes that, that take place. And, you know, coming to acceptance with those changes and and understanding why your body has changed in that certain way to accommodate for that birthing process, there's a lot to be, you know, said for accepting those changes and being and being happy with the body that you're in. And, and you know, like you, you often say, I see a lot of your, um, your messages out there is, embracing what you've got and and utilizing in the correct way i mean no one wants a large diastasis through their rectus abdominis through their tummy creating a large pouch no one wants that and i understand that um but if you do appropriate exercises to regain your strength there are ways that you can reduce that separation and then the female can get that figure back into a certain degree and that should be comfortable with. Um, but it, it, the answer is not sucking in pants, wearing them all day, every day. That is not, that's not the answer. And hopefully the consequences that we've outlined today might change some of the thought processes involved with choosing to wear them. I hope so. Each to their own, I know. But I think what I love about all the different guests I'm getting on this podcast is the education behind it. So very much... I'm not saying 
that someone's wrong for wanting to buy these products or you're wrong if you use them. You're not. I think it's really important to educate yourself around them and know the consequences, understand, you know, the marketing behind these products. And then if you still want to go ahead and use them, that's fine. There's no right or wrong. Here's the science behind it. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Mm. Um, So, Nick, you might find that, you know, you get a bit of confusion around these suck it in pants because we've just been talking about the pressure from the outside and pushing in and down on pelvic floor. What is the difference then with waist trainers and specifically the types that a physiotherapist would use, not the ones that you'd find on a random place on the internet that look like a corset and you strap yourself in after you've had a baby. What are the ones that you use and how does that, you know, how can, how is that used safely as opposed to like those suck it in pants or the things, the cheap things that you might find on the internet somewhere? Yeah, so look, first of all, uh, measurement comes into play. So women are often measured appropriately um, and that's a huge um, topic to discuss. I mean, when you're purchasing off the internet and you're just choosing any garment for the sake of it and then you put it on nearly willingly, put it on as hard as you can and as tight as you can and hope for the best, um, that's a very different outcome to having a medical-grade um, compression um, binder sort of fitted. And even grip. I mean, these have shown appropriately fitted um, maternity sized tubi group that we will often use um, post birth for large diastasis um, to help close the gap. Um, very similar outcome to a binder. And so, in a lot of studies, um, a lot of the studies unfortunately are based around C section outcomes um, rather than vaginal birth. My information today a lot is to do with cesarean section um, recoveries, but it's interesting to know that you don't actually have to have um, the binder as such appropriately sized tubic grip. So that tubic grip compression, if anyone's ever sprained their ankle or hurt their knee and had that compression tubic grip bandage applied, appropriate size that we fit and we measure uh, to a female's abdomen worn correctly in the early postnatal period can be very effective in reducing pain um, and studies have shown they've done tests at 24 hours and 48 hours post um, cesareans. Um, it, it significantly reduces um, their pain levels by assisting, again, it goes back to that framework of the cylinder approach of the core. So you're targeting now the front aspect of that cylinder where you're assisting that support network in the abdominals and therefore preventing that excess load going down onto the pelvic floor and the lumbar spine. So that's where that cylinder approach comes into it again. Um, but so there, I, I, I can't say that there's no effect for waist trainers and binders, but what I'm saying is appropriately fitted and appropriately measured waist trainers can have a good outcome with assisting pain um, and function, especially though I will say in the cesarean. And we do know that cesarean mums often, not always, but often will have a larger um, diastasis through their rectus abdominis. And that's where the outcome effect can play of trying to reduce that, that separation um, through the rectus abdominis to reduce, reduce that. But I would highly recommend you don't just scroll the internet and purchase any binder that you can get your hands on and try and try and if you can I say like a Kardashian sort of approach where you're trying to suck in everything you possibly can, um, that's not going to have 
the desired effect that you're hoping for. Very different then from having it fitted by someone like yourself to trying to do it yourself to either try and close your abdominal separation or reduce it or to try to make your waist smaller. There's a massive difference. Massive difference. When we do utilise binders and tube grips, we are also educating and training the muscles. So I'd like to also point out it's not just a approach from this garment. The ultimate outcome is to have the muscles working appropriately. So, yes, we do encourage that if you're on your feet for a larger period of time or in that really early postnatal period with a significant diastasis post-caesarean, you are wearing this support to assist with facilitating that closing gap. But at the same time, you are taught exercises by the physiotherapist in the hospital to start engaging your transverse abdominus and your pelvic floor. So we're not just saying put this on and hope for the best. So that's also a clear message in that when you utilize them, the, opt the optimum effect is that it's a short-term use whilst the muscles are recovering and then they have a foundation um, to start working effectively and so you don't become reliant. The muscles in itself need to perform and, and are working in combination with that external support. Yeah. yeah, so it's really important to see the right people rather than DIY. As a women's health physio, what is your advice for mums when they're navigating the world of core and floor rehab? If you could kind of like put you on the spot and say you've got two minutes, what would be your advice for mums navigating that area? Two minutes, that's not enough. In a nutshell, I we would never say to someone, go and run a marathon and hope for the best without the appropriate training. But guess what? In childbirth, you just have to run a marathon. And so you need to understand what a damage and what forces have been placed upon your body. Now, a lot of women do come out of childbirth, the first childbirth, quite okay. But we need to remember that a lot goes into considering that. So the weight of the baby, um, instrumental delivery. So was a vacuum approach involved? How long was stage two? So a, a pushing stage of 20 minutes versus a pushing stage two, two hours is very, very different. And that will have a significant effect on the integrity of the pelvic floor in the postnatal period. So I guess the first avenue is to understand what sort of birth you've had understand the weight of the baby that you've had because that will have a, a significant effect on the pelvic floor as well. If you are considering getting back into, which all women should be doing some form of exercise postnatal, whether that be walking, whether that be doing a little bit of hill walking, whether that be getting back on an exercise bike or wanting to swim once the bleeding stopped after the six-week postnatal check, you need to know what your baseline is. And I say that from a, from a perspective of, not just to get the check from the women's health physio, but to know in yourself that you've got confidence when you start a rehab program or you start an exercise approach with a trainer, that you in yourself and your trainer is confident with where your baseline is because every single female is different. So someone mm -hmm. would be able to start quite a strenuous strength program and be able to walk or run up the skillion um, maybe at three months postnatal, whereas someone else it might take nine months. And so we need to understand what the baseline is and a lot comes to play with how strong you were going into your birth and what sort of exercises you did prior as well. 
because we do know that there's a bounce back effect. Now, every single female will have natural spontaneous recovery occur in the first 12 months postnatal. So when women come for an internal examination, uh, maybe they're six weeks, maybe they're 10 weeks postnatal, I always like to educate them and say, what I find in today's session, I'm obliged to tell you, and I will obviously advise you what I find in the assessment, but I want you to bear in mind that your body is going to do a wonderful thing and there will be spontaneous recovery that occurs no matter what anyway. So I never want them to freak out with what we find in that first session because there is it, there's natural movement i mean that when no one's silly enough to not understand there has to be movement that takes place to allow for um a baby to to be delivered uh through the vaginal canal and also for baby to be carried for the nine months so i think understanding where your baseline is at knowing if there has been some pelvic organ movement that is vital because that will then um, give you a baseline of knowing what you should be avoiding early postnatal period versus what you are comfortable with doing and what load uh, you are putting through your pelvic floor. So knowing that, um, and I mean, any any sort of session that you do with postnatal mums, there is a vast scope of pelvic health difference between those females. And so for you in your own sense of training, um, for the female to come to you and say, look, I know I've had a little bit of movement happen. I'm sitting at quite a low baseline strength. My goals are such and such, such and such, and where I want to be. Because every single female has different um, goals, and rightly so, mm. that is based on the foundation. So know where your limits are as well. Know what your goals are and where you want to achieve. Um, but also be gentle with yourself in that first nine months to 12 months postnatal. Understand it's taken nine months to grow and carry the baby and know that it will take a good nine to 12 months for your body to bounce back. You need to know what is right for your body. And it could be that pelvic floor muscle training is what you're needed. It could be that vaginal weights are what's needed. It could be that a perifit trainer, vaginal trainer is what's needed to get you back on track. But I think as long as you learn your foundations, appropriate breathing that we discussed earlier on in this chat, understand how to correctly um, initiate and contract your pelvic floor with your transverse abdominis and know what day-to-day -day activities inappropriately load your pelvic floor. So lifting prams, lifting capsules, lifting heavy washing baskets, lifting heavy groceries when you're not counteracting that load. Those basics go a huge way in helping with your pelvic floor in that early postnatal period. What I also love is that none of, like you didn't touch upon anything about losing weight, changing the shape of your body, like all of everything that we've talked about today has all been functional. It's like this is what we want to work on and this is why none of it has been about to get to your pre-baby size your pre-baby shape your fit into your pre-baby genes nothing to do with that which i love which is what this is all about it is it is and i hope it's been beneficial and um, educational for your listeners as well so helpful brilliant Excellent. and for me i've loved listening it's been so good
Nick, thank you so, so much for joining me. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure and I always love talking to you and love learning from you. Before before you go, where can um, anyone listening, where can they find you? What is your, where, like, if they want to get in touch with you and ask questions, where can people find you? Email, social media, can you tell us? So FYP Physio on Instagram, uh, Forever Young Physio on uh, Facebook, website, uh, Forever Young Physio, email fyphysio at outlook.com, look me up. Um, you'll find me more than happy for anyone to ever just give me a buzz. It's basically a free phone consult before we even get started. I like to know what you're working towards, what your symptoms are, what you're even wanting to get out of any assessment before we even get started. And no question is silly. So I'm always here for Amazing. anyone's advice. Yeah. Beautiful. I'll also put those links in the show notes as well. Thanks, Lou. Bye. 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 If you've enjoyed what you've heard, make sure you hit follow wherever you listen to your podcasts, rate and review so that more mums can start to challenge societal norms when it comes to what their body should look like. For further information on what I've covered in this episode or to connect with me in person, head to the link in the show notes. You'll also find the link to enroll in my online course, The Body Resilient Mum Project. Until next time, bye for now.